Welcome back to the Empowered Woman Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. Today, I have Amy Green Smith. This lady is so flipping cool. She's here today to tell you how it is possible to stop to go from being a people-pleasing, guilt-ridden perfectionist to a confident, courageous badass. And you know she's in the right place because it's the badass <laughs> woman. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, this is awesome. Amy Green Smith is a certified and credentialed life coach and hypnotherapist, master masterful speaker, and courageous communication expert. Amy uses her roles as a coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-worth. Oh, we about to be filled, y'all. Aren't you excited? <laughs> Aren't you excited? Please check her links in the show notes below or wherever you're consuming this information. Amy, I'm so happy to have you. Yay! This is going to be so fun. I'm so yes. so honored to be here, Olivia. Thank you. I'm honored to have you. I want to talk about from the people pleasing standpoint Mm -hmm. and not feeling enough on a subconscious level. This Mm -hmm. is one thing I realized for myself that I felt not enough on a subconscious level after having a child and being super reflective on why I did certain things that I did. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I'm the only person that has Mm -hmm felt this way or realized or had this realization, I find that a lot of people have this not feeling enough Mm -hmm. and it it shows up in other ways, like overworking, overspending, you know, all of the things. Me, I'm a chronic overworker and overproducer, all of those things. So I would, I would love to start there. Sure. Well, first off, I think it's really important to first, I identify exactly what people pleasing is mm-hmm. and then talk about sort of the origin of it and then we can kind of look at how that filters into the not enoughness so first and foremost <laughs> when i talk about people pleasing usually there are people that perk up and they go oh my god that's me that's for sure me that's for sure me i know i know that's me then there are other folks who go uh, I, I wouldn't really call myself a people pleaser but I am really highly invested in the opinions of other people. <laughs> mm. And I would argue that that is a form of people pleasing, that you are sacrificing self in some way in order to garner approval, accolades, honors. I would argue that people pleasing is a form of per- or perfectionism is a form of people pleasing. It is I need you to see me in a specific light. And therefore, I am worthy or therefore I am enough. Or if I please you, if I take care of you, then maybe I'll be valuable. Well, let's talk about even the root of what that is. People pleasing in its nature is a defense tactic. It's a defense mechanism. It is an iteration of our fawn response. If if you've heard of fight, flight, freeze, fawn, fawn is the idea that if there's an aggressor or a captor, like a mountain lion coming after you, to fawn in the face of that fear would be to go here, kitty, 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 go get that meat. Oh, go over there. You know, that would be fawning as a method of Mm self-preservation. So I think it's really important to know that people-pleasing is self-preservation for a lot of folks. So in situations like 
growing up in, let's say, an abusive household or a vo- you have a volatile or even highly dramatic or narcissistic parent, you might learn that walking on eggshells or making sure that their food is taken care of or their laundry is done or, you know, being the good kid that you can kind of skate under the radar that your life is easier. Now, we see that a lot in social justice circles. We see that a lot in intersections of identities where we code switch, right? Like if I, and I certainly am not an expert on that, but I would say as an example, I do identify as queer. If I'm in an environment that is not conducive to that, Mm -hmm. that's probably not my time to get up on my rainbow soapbox, right? Because I might actually be in danger physically. So in that situation, people pleasing might keep my ass safe, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that to know that there's nuance with that. So often in personal development, we attach to these different monikers like perfectionism is always wrong or people pleasing is always bad. And that's not the case. Like if I have brain surgery, I need that neurosurgeon to be a motherfucking perfectionist, right? Like then it's really important. Other times when it's stealing your joy, when it's it's infringing on you being able to make connections or get the job you want or whatever, then we have to start looking at, okay, this behavioral tactic is no longer contributing to my happiness or my fulfillment. So I'm going to stop there because I, I feel like there's some cool questions that might be over there. But then I want to talk about how how does that all intertwine with enoughness or worthiness? But you look like you had like a... I love ooh. that you went there. Like, I just, I'm loving this. Because it is so much a defense tactic in so many situations. And for instance, like when I had my son, I had my son on Christmas Day, actually. And I made sure I made goodie bags for the entire staff at the hospital. Wow. I made care packages just to be, but it was more so out of gratitude because it was a holiday weekend. There mm-hmm. was a snowstorm going on and that's, that's the way I am. But I, but you're making me now think like, was I extra nice? So, Cause I wanted to make sure that they would give me proper service because in history, historically black women aren't treated well in hospitals. Was that, you know, a thing, but I, I did have mm-hmm. to, I did have to go to the hospital the month before, like two days before Thanksgiving, I was put in there because of my, like I had super high blood pressure Mm-hmm. And they wanted to like monitor me and everything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, Cause I had preeclampsia and gestational diabetes and all yeah. of these problems. Like it was so such an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure I was being taken care of. So I love that yes. you, you, you talked about that because we have to get away from this all or nothing mentality. It's so, everything's so black and white in our world. And that's not true. And, and especially in personal development and yes. in discovering yourself, everyone has their own journeys and stories. And maybe being a people pleaser in certain situations is a lot safer. Yes. Yes. Um, but I, but also that sacrificing of self and being so consumed with the p- opinions of other people. And that's been one that it's, it's been hard for me to ditch, but it, I, I feel like I'm a lot more successful in that. But I know a lot of people are not that, and they and they don't even view it that way. Right. And it's like the question: what would what would be your question for the people that care so much about yeah. other people's opinions? So this is such a great question, and I'm so glad you brought up that anecdote 
because sometimes it's both. So for example, people who would say, I have perfectionist tendencies, typically are high achievers. They value excellence. They review things multiple times. They don't oftentimes make mistakes, right? And so they attach to this moniker of people-pleasing or perfectionist being being this, oh shit, well, that's how I've gotten so successful. That's how I got through college. That's how I started my business was being a perfection. What if I take that away? And it's like, no, we're not taking that away. We're introducing nuance and discernment. So for example, your situation with all of the staff, that could actually be both. It could be that you have a strong value around excellence or impact or giving back or reciprocity or generosity, like it could be a value. And there could be this very real world lived experience as a black woman in our culture, where of the developed nations, we have the highest mortality rate for women giving birth, and it's exponentially worse for women of color. So those both of those dynamics can be at play. It doesn't have to be all or nothing, right? It could be this probably will get me a little bit of extra good service. And I genuinely like seeing them light up. It can be both. And so, and it can also be one or the other, right? So in a situation where you need, so this is the question to ask yourself is, do I need this person to like me and approve of me for my own well-being, for self-preservation, or for my self-worth? That's the distinction because sometimes we need that person to like us because we need them to pay us. We need them to give us a proper place to live. They, we need them to seat us where we want to be seated, right? So sometimes it's about a self-preservation motivation. And then other times it is, I need you to like me because I don't know who the fuck I am if you don't approve of me, if I'm not getting constant accolades, if I'm not being acknowledged, if I'm not getting words of affirmation or being approved of. I'm left with no self-worth. And that's and the, what's what's tricky about that is it's a different answer every time. Mm -hmm. So you might have had that scenario in the hospital where it was a little bit of both. Then you might have a situation with a best friend where you realize you want her to approve of your choices because it's tied to your enoughness. And if I'm not mm -hmm. a good enough friend or if I'm not worthy as a friend, then who am I, right? And then there might be another situation as a Black woman where you very distinctly people please in order to stay safe, right? So, but it's a different answer every time. And that's where the personal development part kicks in is being able to analyze each of these situations and going, what was I motivated by? Was I working towards caretaking for myself or was I working towards, I need you to like me or I'm not enough? What are you thinking over there? <laughs> I'm actually, I, I really, I really like that. I, I, I want to go back to the code switching that you yeah. mentioned before. So I'm one of those, like, I'm, I think like in a professional setting, I'm so anti, like I manage a fine dining restaurant and I'm so like, so chill. Like I'm so yeah. like, just, I am myself. I'm, but we're in a casino. Yeah. Like it's, it's a different it's a different environment. We're our own little ecosystem. There's no windows, yeah. you know, when you're in a casino. Because mm -hmm. they, they, it's just yes. different. There's a lot of cigarette smoke. 
which is mm-hmm. annoying, but like in our restaurant, you don't actually smell it like in the dining room. But um, I've lived in five different states. Or no, I've worked in five different states. I've lived in four different states. And I'm originally from the South. So, and I mean, I I want to move back to the South. I love the South because see, one thing I, I'm from South Carolina. One thing I appreciate about racist is <laughs> they let you know there. I'd much rather know yes. that you, I'd rather know your ignorance up mm-hmm. front than know, like, or think you're a fine person. And I feel, I find that a lot in the Midwest. I find a lot of inauthenticity. Not yeah. all, like, in a lot of the circles I have, they're amazing. I Because you, I believe you create your environment. I'm saying yeah, outside yeah. things. But with that being said, I'm I'm only the people that are looking for me are not going to find me if I'm switching up all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like I have to like there's just certain words I say certain ways. There's certain things I do certain ways, but when I get super passionate about something, I sound I tend to sound a little more southern, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> and it's just but I, and I and I'm tr- I'm I'm more so interested in embodying that. Now my my phone yes. voice, my phone voice is phenomenal. I'm I'm kind. I'm really good at customer service. But I still, I yeah. still don't take shit, you know? Yeah. Well, and so again, I, I'm i in North Carolina, by the way, so I can definitely relate to all of that. And I also feel like this is one of the things that needs to be talked about more in personal development. Development is different lived experiences mm-hmm. and how that informs how you show up. So even as like as a white woman, I feel silly even addressing the topic of code switching because I don't have that from a experiential standpoint. However, I believe black people when they tell me it is exists. I just feel like if there's a group of people that are telling you, hey, this hurts me and this is how it hurts me. All we have to do is just fucking listen. Mm -hmm. All we have to do is listen. I, I just don't think it's all that complicated. But I think what you're speaking to also is not dissimilar to any sort of familial conditioning that we've received growing up or academic conditioning, Mm -hmm. religious conditioning, just by virtue of being a woman in the U.S., there's a certain amount of culture that is that is apparent. So all of those things are going to lend themselves to that people-pleasing behavior. And here's why. When we look at our primitive ancestors, you could not survive as a human unless you belonged to a group. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in days of old, Our ancestors weren't hanging out there being by themselves and being individuals and all of that, which is highly touted in our culture, right? It's do everything on your own. Don't ask for help. Individual, individual, individual. We don't value the community. We don't talk about Mm -hmm. that. But that is how we are wired. So now, many, many decades, centuries later, when we are not approved of or accepted into a group that registers to the brain as unsafe, So now it's not necessarily that I might actually die if this group doesn't allow me to cohabitate with them. But now what happens is I'm at work and Susan in accounting doesn't approve of me or doesn't like what I just did. Send in all the fear response, send in the anxiety because the primitive part of the brain goes, you might not survive this if this person doesn't approve of you. 
and it is disproportionately worse for people of marginalized identities. So for example, and this is where it all comes back to self-worth. If you are in a fat body versus, and I say that through a liberatory lens, Mm -hmm. through a reclamation of the word fat versus in a thin fit body, our culture says one is better than the other. We Mm -hmm. say that straight is better than gay. We say that white, you know, fill in the women or male Mm -hmm. is better than female. And I think this is the most powerful connection. So when you have parties that are being oppressed, the oppressor stays in power, no matter any of those dynamics that we're talking about, stays in power if that oppressed party continues to believe that they are less than the oppressor. If you still believe yeah, I'm not as good because I'm a woman versus a man, or I'm not as good because I'm trans versus, you know, straight or whatever. That reinforces the system. So one of the fiercest acts of liberation and resistance I think that we can have, and I'll speak to that only from a woman's standpoint and a queer standpoint and disabled standpoint, Loving myself and believing that I am enough and that I matter is the fiercest act of resistance that I can embody. So I think like when we're talking about activism or when we're talking about what a strong black woman is or what a strong, you know, queer woman is or they, them or whoever, you gain so much more fucking power in this system if you actually believe that you matter, if you believe that you are enough. That is why this work is important. And that is why it is so directly tethered to speaking up. Because when we are perpetually putting the wants, needs, and opinions of everyone else in front of ourselves, over and over and over again, we send a subconscious message to our own mind that we simply don't matter as much as that other person. That is self-worth. So then no wonder when we go to start our own business or when we put our name in for a promotion or when we jump back into the dating scene after a divorce, no wonder we get in our own way and we think we're not enough and we think we can't match up because we've been conditioning that this whole time. So when I talk about speaking up or contesting where people pleasing might be holding you back, I'm not doing it as an arbitrary personal development exercise. I'm doing it because your self-worth literally depends on it. People don't understand the importance of actually doing the work. Like, like I was uh, telling a friend the other day, she's like, she was talking about, like, she doesn't think as deep as I do. Well, I'm like, well, I technically should. I've been studying mindset stuff since I was like 23 Mm -hmm. and I practice what I preach. I don't tell, and I talk to specialists. I've been talking yeah. to specialists for years now. Yeah. Asking them these questions. Like I should, I should learn something. I'm not, you can't just be a consumer of, of this information. You actually have to look in the dirty mirror or as another guest of mine said, you know, look at your own poop, you know, and she <laughs> said it that way. Cause her kid was like, it, it was a funny story. Her kid looked at her her poop for the first time in the potty. And she's like, what's that? You know, like, what is your poop? <laughs> Everybody's got it. You got to look at it, you know? Yeah. And, but there's so much transformation that comes out of that and truly loving yourself. And for me, practicing like with this new mom bot of mine, practicing actually talking to myself, like I would talk to my friend mm-hmm. in the mirror, 
you know, and as far as like my progress goes and everything and not paying attention to the number, focusing my mindset on being stronger so Mm -hmm. I can be around longer and I can constantly pick up and chase around my, my growing boy, you know, having those, having those shifts because yes, our culture, but I, I trained for a bikini competition in a 2021. So, oh man, body image issues, like all of that stuff, like, and just yeah, filters, the way filters affect things, the way AI is now. <laughs> I'm just saying like, these are real things that people actually deal with, you yeah. know, like they get hyper-focused on mm-hmm. and that's not even, that's not, these are first world problems. They're really not that important but we make them such big things, right? Especially like, okay, there was a time in May of 2021 that I couldn't look myself in the mirror without crying. Like it was like two days, two days of feeling like a horrible person because I didn't like the way I looked. I'd, I've been using too many filters. I was the skinniest I'd ever been and I in my adult life and I still was not happy with that. And that's when I realized I should not compete because for one, I could not pose. And two, it just wasn't, I I would have had to spend more money to, and I'm like, I'm not, I don't have, I can't be having $5,000 hobbies that I don't place in. Like, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not wealthy. Like, like, I just, mm -mm, I can't do that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It was like all of these things. My husband was deployed. So it's not like I would have had like many people there to cheer me on, like the people that really matter to cheer me on. And it's just like, this is not, so when I say it, it's not that important. I'm like saying from the grand scheme of things, like I wasn't dying, but I felt like I should. And that's right. not something to feel like you should die over. Right. You're right. so much more than the number on the scale and how you look. Right. And where did all of that come from? Mm-hmm. That came from a shit ton of maleness and a shit ton of whiteness and and capitalism. Like who who makes money off of me hating myself? Oh, yes. I was just talking about this yesterday. They make so much money. Like, it's a constant thing of us not liking ourselves. That's right. It's, it's, and it's all by design because it sells a shit ton of stuff. I mean, don't even get me started on diet culture. Diet culture is the one industry where it has like a 99%, 95% fail rate and still blames the consumer and it keeps perpetuating. Like, we know that. It's in the 98 percentile. It's like 95 percent fail. So that means a handful of select few people who probably have amazing genes are able to lose weight and keep it off. That means a majority of us are bought into this system of not enoughness, and it's your fault. And that's what that's what we see all the time. But I do want to circle back to something you were talking about, about doing the work. Mm-hmm. And I have this metaphor around it. And so I oftentimes will say it's, you can't just collect personal development. Mm -hmm. You can't just hoard podcasts and collect books and eBooks and audiobooks and, and workshops and programs and expect something to change just by consuming it. You actually have to get into action. I call that the field work, like what you are doing differently. And a lot of times it's stopping and analyzing a thought process or a behavior. So I oftentimes will say, you cannot read a book 
or listen to a, a podcast on Pilates and get ripped abs, right? Mm-hmm. Or get a really strong core. You can't. You could have every podcast, every book on Pilates and still not have a strong core because you have to hit the mat. You actually have to do something with the information. But it's a little awkward with this sort of a field and this sort of work because it's intangible. We don't tactily see it, right? The way you can track if you've saved a certain amount of money or if you've eaten a certain amount of vegetables. We can really track that stuff. It's more difficult when we're talking about this abstract, abstract, did I establish a boundary? Did I speak up for myself? You know, so usually what I'll do as like assignments for folks is let's say, let's say they have a situation at work where they are routinely getting walked on or they don't speak up. I will say, okay, let's find in the next week, let's find three to five instances where you said something differently than what you have in the past. Doesn't mean you nailed it. Doesn't mean it's knocked out of the park, but you started to change that pattern. And then usually what happens right at the beginning of that is there will be what I like to call the speaking up hangover, where you go back and go, what have I done? Oh my God, what are they thinking? What, are, ah, you know, and that is... <laughs> I told a a doctor client of mine the other day, I was like, okay, doctor, you're not exempt from the science. There is, (laughs) there's a way in which we change the beliefs in the brain and it has to do with the neural pathways, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this very, like, if I'm using this anecdote, we have this very well-worn pathway in the brain that says people pleasing is safe. This is how I fly under the radar. This is how I make sure everybody likes me. It's well-worn. Okay. So then I come in and I'm like, okay, here, I want you to try this exercise. I want you to start doing this here. You're going to start saying this to yourself. And what we're essentially doing is we're going to take a machete to this other very shrub infested area. And we're going to start hacking through that and create a new pathway. But at the beginning, you're like, oh, my arm's sore or like, oh, there's no way I'm going to get through all these shrubs right? Maybe I'll just go back down this people pleasing because it's so well-worn. So that's when the guilt comes in. And that's when it's like, are you sure you don't want to be a people pleaser? We just, we know that path so much better. But then what happens with repetition and continued work and continued speaking up and those three to five instances become 15 to 20 and they become 50 to 55 times. And all of a sudden this pathway is well-worn and this one is starting to overgrow. And now the idea of going down that other path is so physically painful. And this is something I experience now. If I know I need to give voice to something, I physically hurt. Like I cannot keep it in. I have to have that conversation. And so that's always what I'm switching is like, I want it to be too painful to be quiet, not too painful to speak up. Let's switch that sort of pain ratio. And but we're not, nobody's exempt to it. It's fucking science. Like it's how the brain is wired. So it doesn't matter how far down the wrong path you've gone. You can always turn around and we can always pave a new way. There's so many things I want to say. Okay. So I think the <laughs> best way to measure for me, you know, these little things is your quality of life, which is not a measurable mm. thing, but 
how you're feeling, doing those If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. And seeing how you're feeling in the day-to-day, it's really checking your quality of life, like when you're doing the field work. Because there's no way that you can actually stay the same. You're going to change in some type of direction. And it's really the little the little changes that you make. And if you can play around with getting uncomfortable and enjoying that feeling of getting it, recognizing what that feeling is, that your subconscious mind is trying to keep you safe. So you feel that resistance, you know, because it's like, oh, no, this is safe. But I need to pave this new path. I need to form this new pathway. You do have the power to rewire your mind. You do have the power to switch all these things up. I literally just wrote this as like my mindset or no, my affirmations for the next couple of months. And I find for myself, some of that groundwork, that field work now where I'm at is I am actively preparing to be the person I'm intended to be. Mm -hmm. So I'm actively I'm so much more intentional intentional with my visualization. My, I have different activities I'll be doing. One of my activities is each day it's an abundance exercise. I do an abundance exercise every day. That's now what I'm doing. Like that's the themes of the summer. I'm so excited about the themes of the summer. So, I love it. And I mean, I work in fine dining. So like that's that's nice to find that there. You know what I'm saying? While I'm doing, but I mean, when I volunteer, the fact that I'll be able to give back and looking at my volunteer work as this is a part of an abundant life because I'm able to set aside the time to help those in need. And I, I love volunteering, going around and looking at really nice houses, like just driving like yes. that, that activity, you know, being out in nature because like I'm such an outdoorsy person. That's some of the groundwork for anybody that's listening that wants to have an idea of what some of that looks like. I also really like what you said about the doctor. I I love that. (laughs) I love that. Well, one of the questions you can ask yourself, because whenever something is new, it registers in the brain as unsafe. So If you are learning how to speak up or you're going to establish a boundary or have a tough conversation and you've never done that before or you're used to this life of people pleasing, your brain is going to say, oh my gosh, abort mission. This is way, no, 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 danger, danger. We don't know how to be confident. We don't know how to be super vocal. Let's not do that, right? Guess what that is? That's your inner critic. Your inner critic is always looking for continuity between your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. So if there is something that doesn't match up in that subconscious, for example, people-pleasing allows me to fly under the radar or people-pleasing allows me to stay safe or being a perfectionist keeps me thriving in this life, right? And then there's something that comes in on the conscious side that says, I am capable of speaking up for myself with grace and kindness. I it, I am a confident person. Like that's why affirmations don't work because it's not Con, uh, congruent with what's being housed in the subconscious. That's why we really have to change the subconscious mind. 
we could go down that that path too. But one of the things to ask yourself, and this is also a part of the discernment of, is this a defense mechanism or is this something I need to relinquish and let go of? Is it holding me back? Is just to ask, am I afraid because this is new or am I afraid because I'm actually in danger? Because your fear response will kick in both times, right? It'll kick in if you're about to give like a big speech and you know you want to give it, you know it's going to open up a bunch of doors to you, but your fear response will go, we're not safe. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. But it's just because it's new. Now, in another situation, your fear might say, get out of here. Get out of here because there's, you know, a robbery happening, right? And then it's like, oh yeah, get out, get out, get out, go, right? So, Fear is going to show up when we're onto something and fear is going to show up when we're actually in danger. So that's why we have to ask ourselves, am I in danger right now or is this just new? And that helps you dictate your behavior, how you're going to, what sort of field work you're going to employ. There's a certain type of uncomfortable I don't like to feel. And I'm very well aware of what that uncomfortable is. It's just like I'm very mindful of traveling to countries where I need a male escort, you know, yes. I don't want to, I don't want to support those economies. That's, mm-hmm. that's a complete fear that I don't want to feel, mm-hmm. um, you know, great example. And, and knowing, knowing that, you know, no, yeah. and, and being able to actively like check yourself and be like, what is this that I'm feeling tapping into that? Yeah. That's, that's so important. Well, one of the things you were talking about earlier is like the the quality of life and and really what you're pointing to there is emotional intelligence. And how do things make us feel? Like we know that the decisions we make in our life, pretty much all the decisions we make are rooted in how we think something is going to make us feel. It's going to give us a feeling of freedom, of abundance, of excitement, happiness, bliss, ecstasy, whatever. We call it a bunch of different things that we're in pursuit of, but it's because of how it's going to make us feel. So when people Mm -hmm. ask me, like, what do you think success is? It's residing in an emotional state that is comfortable and expansive, right? Whether that's play and frivolity and joy or peace and solitude and serenity, like all of those are emotional states. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's the success is that I'm in pursuit of things, whether it's nurturing relationships, goals with my career that are leading to an emotional freedom that I want to feel, that I'm clear on, right? So to me, that's the quality of life that you are speaking to. And and that can also be a really great way to discern if I'm overachieving, let's say, for me and my own personal fulfillment, because when I step back and I gave that speech or I got that degree, I have this overwhelming sense of pride and accomplishment and I feel like a bad bitch, right? Then it's in service of you, right? But if it's, oh, I can't let anybody see my house unless it's flawless and I can't, oh my gosh, what are they going to think of me? And so that's when that excellence or that overachieving is now stealing your joy and we can see the evidence in how we feel. So lean on that. Our emotion, our emotions are simply messaging. They're just there to be like, hey, bitch, pay attention. This is either not a good situation or this is an amazing situation. And we're clocking it. And we need you to pay attention to that. But we don't usually do that. We go, what's wrong with me? 
instead of going, what's the messaging here? Yeah. When I, I didn't, I forgot to mention this part of it, but it was, you know, when I know that uncomfortable feeling, I don't, I don't ask myself this. I don't know. I don't tell myself this, but when I know it's the uncomfortable that I'm just getting out of my comfort zone, I tell myself I'm excited. I just, yeah. I just automatically, I'm excited. I'm excited. I just, and I switch. Like I literally, I move, I get active. Um, mm-hmm. I practice feeling the feelings that I want to, when I achieve the said goals that I yeah. will, I really believe that life is truly a journey. And mm-hmm. I find that after doing events, doing amazing things, I feel so exhausted, so drained, yeah. not, not yeah. the actual feeling you would think that you feel. And I think I was listening to Marie For- Forleo and she was mm-hmm. talking about this, how, and this was a while back, but uh, how she would be so drained after her conventions and stuff like that, because you give so much of yourself mm-hmm. with those things. And then if you get, that's when that critic comes in. Oh, I didn't say this right. I didn't do this right. Like, and I feel like because you're so exhausted, at least for me. Yes. Cause you're so exhausted. That's when, that's when that they, they creep, like they creep in, they get real that's loud. Right. Um, that is right. And, and knowing that now I'm, I have more of an understanding that it'll happen, you know? Yes. And that also- is also, by the way, that is also why it is so easy for us to give other people advice on things that are hard for us to take ourselves. Right. So like if you had a friend who was super fit, and was hating their body, it'd be so easy for you to go, are you kidding me? You can bench press me. Like, what is wrong with you? Right. But that's because you don't have an inner critic filter. She has the inner critic filter at the time. So you, you can just bypass with straight up affirmations, (laughs) right? That's why it's so much easier to give other people advice than it is to take your own because you have to contend with your own inner critic. They don't. Yeah. And that's the greatest, like, stop her. Yeah. There, there's an acronym too. I don't know if you've heard this, but it ties a lot with that exhaustion. It's called HALT, but I put an S on the end of it. HALTs, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, sick. Those are the states. If you are hungry, if you are angry, lonely, tired, right? The exhaustion or mm-hmm. sick. Sick could be menopausal. That could be pregnancy. That could be PMS. That could be broken leg. That could be anything, right? But when we have a compromise to our physical body, the inner critic is like, she's weak, go in. So that's why I always say, if you are in any of those states, hungry, angry, angry, lonely, tired, sick, wait until you come down out of that before you make any definitive decisions. You can feel it all you want. You can cry. You can be a mess, all of that. But just refrain from actually making a definitive decision when you're in that place because the inner critic is hyper into avoid anything that might be new. We don't need anything to disrupt the system. Let's just stay the way we are. So knowing that, you can give yourself a little bit of grace. You know, like if I'm really crampy and PMSy or paramenopausy or whatever, I can recognize and go, oh, okay, that's why that feels dire. I know it's still an issue that I need to address. But whenever I'm in one of those states, it makes it extra dramatic, extra histrionic. Pay attention. Oh my gosh. No, it's an all in or all out. And that's, so just 
pump the brake a little bit and wait on making any definitive decisions. I love that because I legit, sometimes I'm just like, I need to go to sleep because I'm just, I'm just, it's, it's, I'm constantly tired, you know, with an almost four month old and like a job that I get off really late nights and stuff. I'm always like, so I get it. I I really, this, I I love that acronym. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. (laughs) I think, I think it's also so important to like accept your reality. Like just going back to like, oh, I need my house super clean before anybody sees it. Or I need it to speaking to that perfectionist. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of perfection lacks authenticity. Yes. And that's I, that's why I'm like really like I I believe in striving for excellence and all that other stuff, but like at the same time, like it is what it is, mm-hmm. and there's like a balance for that in my life. But I know a lot of people they don't they haven't quite found that balance between like being having striving for excellence, but also just being like real and accepting where you are in your life. Yeah, I think it also depends on the type of environment that you're in too. So let's say this person coming over to your house is the most loving and compassionate and just so chill and so cool. That's a gift, right? So in those situations, there's zero pressure coming from them. It's Mm -hmm. all coming internally. So there's a message there of like, okay, am I holding on to something so tightly for what, right? Like, So one of the things I ask myself in those situations is in the grand scheme of Amy Greensmith's life, how important is this? How is it important? How important is it that I use this plate to display everything or cut the sandwiches into triangles instead of squares? Like how the shit that I will just get into the minutia with, I have to stop and go like, how big of a deal is it if there's dust on my windsill (laughs) or windowsill? You know, it's. And kind of stepping back outside of that. Now, conversely, you could have somebody else who's coming over to the ho- your house who's incredibly critical and super judgmental and is heightening your anxiety about how you have to set up your house. That's a perfect example of people who make your life easier and people who make your life more difficult. Do you still have a struggle with perfectionism with or without those people? Yes. One group of people makes it easier. One group of people makes your job harder. So if you are in the beginning stages of flexing a new tool, like relinquishing perfectionism or letting go of the opinions of other people, be mindful of your environment. So when I when I talk about like the thing, the elements that genuinely create change, I have sort of a four quadrant model and it's the internal elements are your conscious mind and your subconscious mind, which is what we do largely through the work. The external components, the external components are behavioral, how you show up in the world and environmental, who you keep company with, where you work, who you're married to, right? So we can target self-worth through all of these portals. So what you were talking about is behavioral. It's acting as though I'm already enough, acting as though I'm already confident. And I don't love the fake it until you make it idea because by itself, yeah. it's it's kind of, it. I wouldn't say that it's broken. I would say it's just missing other factors because we can absolutely target our behavior. Like if you act confident enough times with your body language, mm-hmm. it will start to permeate the subconscious part of the mind. 
but we can't ignore our environment, right? We can't just be, you know, doing all of these really positive things for ourselves while we're in the midst of a toxic work environment or dealing with an in-law who's overbearing, who we need to establish boundaries with, right? So you kind of have to tackle it at all angles, but you can start anywhere. You can start with the company you keep. You can start with your actions and behaviors. You can start with what you know consciously, and you can start with subconscious mind. They all matter. But I just say, follow the entry point wherever you have it. Like if you can, tomorrow you can go into a business meeting holding your your shoulders back and your chest up and your head held high. That is behavioral mm-hmm. and environmental. But it's you acting as though you have the belief of I am enough or I am valuable. And even though that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true in that moment, it still feels a shit ton better than a repressed, non-confident posture or Mm -hmm. going in. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'll take whatever feels better in the moment. So we can kind of tackle it from all of those angles. And any entry point is better than no entry point. So. If you can establish a boundary over here, if you can change the way you speak to yourself in the mirror, if you can change your, you know, conscious thoughts about what's possible for you and you can change the subconscious thoughts to be congruent with that, the world is your oyster. You know, any belief is changeable. Beliefs are just a feeling of certainty. That's it. They aren't Mm -hmm. fact. They -hmm. are a feeling of certainty. So when we say it's difficult to make money. It is saying, I feel fairly certain that it's difficult to make money or I'm super gross and fat. It's, I feel fairly certain that fat is a bad thing and that's what I am. Right. And that I can't be here. So all of those things are malleable. You've seen people change their faith. You've seen people change their beliefs overnight. Mm -hmm. They're malleable. They can change. It's a matter of what do I want to believe about myself? And then we have to hit the map and start conditioning it, right? Now we actually have to get off the couch and do some 100s or whatever they do in Pilates, you know, to do something. That reminded me of a quote that I had on one of my vision boards. Examine what you tolerate. You know, like, what do you tolerate for yourself? What do you tolerate in the behavior of other people? Higher, like one of the themes for my summer is being so having being more demanding in in the sense of being de- more demanding as far as what my expectations are for myself, mm-hmm. like increasing my own personal standards, and that includes the people that are around me. Mm-hmm. That way, I will take up more space, not in a bad way, but more so not allowing other people to pull me into their storm. Yes. I would I would offer you if you like the word demanding keep it for sure 100%. The the word that came to me was unwavering. Mm-hmm. Where it's like people can bring up whatever they want or guilt trip you as much as you want, but I get this vision of you being like this sturdy tree with deep roots that know exactly where you're from, what you're about, and you're just unwavering. And it's like, there can be storms going on outside and you're like, sorry about your storm, but I'm not taking that on. Like I'm unwavering. I'm just not going to allow that. And, and that is probably one of the most difficult lessons in emotional intelligence is when you feel really good about your choice and somebody else does not. 
and they think you're wrong or they want want you to bend on a boundary and they think you're making a poor choice. Being in that place where two people want two totally different things and not caving, not acquiescing to save them and give them what they want and take care of their needs, but to genuinely show up kind with compassion and just say, unfortunately, that's not going to work for me right now, or I don't have the capacity to accommodate that. I truly hope you can understand, or I wish you well with that. I'm not going to be available for that, unfortunately. Truly hope you can understand. Like there's so many ways to say it really kindly and lovingly, but just it's not available. I don't have it for you right now. And that doesn't mean that it's going to land well. And oftentimes what happens in these situations is what I like to call dichotomous emotion, where on one hand, you're so proud of yourself for sticking to your guns and not wavering and and keeping your boundary and speaking up. And then on the other hand, you're just really saddened or you feel dismissed or you feel um, misunderstood or angry, disappointed obligated, overwhelmed, right? There's usually two very distinctly opposing feelings. I'm proud of myself. And yet that also doesn't feel the best. That sucks. And allowing that to exist, that's a part of emotional acuity and strength and intelligence is being with those feelings without reacting, without feeling like I need to make this stop no matter what. Because that's usually when the perfectionism and the people pleasing comes in is when we can't be with an uncomfortable feeling. I love this unwavering word. I'm probably, I am probably going to take that because I was trying to find the way to properly describe it. And I've used unwavering when it comes to like my faith, but I I really like yeah. that too, because it, it, it embodies the same thing. The, so a few of the things that were coming up while you were speaking is one of the things I've been telling myself recently is this is not the season to be liked by everybody. Like hey. it's just, it, that ain't it. Like, I understand, like, especially (laughs) in leadership positions of all, like, in leadership positions and everywhere in my life, I'm going to piss some people off. Yes. You know, and accepting, like, that's just going to be what it is. Like, Mm -hmm. people that don't stand for something will fall for anything. I am one of those. Like, Mm -hmm. if I'm supposed to lead, like, I'm I'm more of a servant leader, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to bend on my expectations. Somebody came to me at work. Because I told them they needed to have their talking points ready by the 15th or they wouldn't be on the schedule. Mm -hmm. She came to me and told me that she wasn't going to, she's like, well, you can go ahead and take me on the schedule, off the schedule. I'm not ready. I looked at her. I said, are you really going to give me an excuse right now? Mm -hmm. Is that what you're really, that's what you're really going to do? And the Mm -hmm. GM was in there. He's like, oh, you just fucked up. Telling her, telling her that because Mm -hmm. I don't tolerate yeah limiting I don't take excuses for limiting beliefs you didn't even try yeah I no like like that's just not we're not doing that and it's like with certain friends with my significant other having to just stick to my boundaries and things like that it's boundaries are not comfortable like no. people, they, they talk about having these boundaries, but actually implementing that, that's where the flex muscle comes in. You got to practice that over and over and over again. That's right. And I would argue that it's, it, we think that just delivering the boundary, getting it out of our body, I'm done. No, Mm-mm. the real heavy lifting comes with enforcing the boundary mm-hmm. because 
motherfuckers will breach a boundary mm-hmm. and they will <laughs> be like, uh, I don't think Olivia really means it. Or, oh, she just took this one course and now she thinks she's can be all boundary, right? Or, or they're really well-meaning and they're just, they don't take it as a massive behavioral change or that you really mean it because you haven't for 30, 40 fucking years, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to also take responsibility for what we have tolerated in the past mm-hmm. and create some clarity around that. So to say to somebody, hey, listen, I know this seems out of character, but I've really been working on things and I've realized that there are certain things that I've tolerated that that are really unhealthy for me. So here's my request of you, right? And And then sharing that, but saying, as you have to enforce it, going back again and saying, hey, listen, that conversation we had the other day, I really meant it. And maybe I didn't emphasize just how mandatory that is for me, but hey, listen, I can't have X, Y, or Z, right? And can be very, very specific and clear. So, I mean, we could do a whole other podcast specifically on the anatomy of a boundary, but, but yeah, so much of it is about figuring out, are there things that I'm tolerating? And this is a great question, a great place to look. If you're like, where, where do I need boundaries in my life? Ask yourself. Who and what do I chronically complain about, but do not take action on? Mm -hmm. So for example, if you get really pissed about one of your co-managers, let's say, and you come home every day and your partner gets near full over and over and over again, but you don't express that grievance to that person, (laughs) you're speaking up, congratulations, but you're speaking up to the wrong party. And now you're just becoming a perpetual victim and complainer which nobody really wants to be. So the question to ask yourself is, have I at least given this person the opportunity to be what I need? Yes or no. And what that looks like is very clearly and kindly articulating exactly what you expect from them. And then you get to see if they're not willing, if they're not capable, whatever. But you don't get to just be pissed silently and never give voice to that grievance and then label that person toxic. Mm-hmm. Like, nope, you have to use your words. Yeah. yeah. When people start talking to me about other people, I'm like, have you talked to them about that? Exactly. Like, like I'm so. <laughs> yes. Now it's, it is, it is a different thing. If you just need to vent right. one off, I just need to clear this. I'm talking about habitually, chronically complaining about one particular issue or person that you refuse to take action on. That's mm-hmm. your boundary. There's there's your task, my friend. That's the start of it. Amy, listen, you gave me too much. Like, <laughs> this too much good stuff. I'm going to, I don't say this often, but I'm going to have to have you on again in the, in the next couple of years because Perfect. this is just so, it's so good. I, I'm so, look at all these notes I got. Oh, yay. I'm so glad. That makes my heart so happy. notes from this. So, yeah. Tell me where everybody can find you. Yes. So my little corner of the internet is over at amygreensmith.com. And I like to say that all of those names are spelled the basic bitch way. (laughs) Nothing exciting. Amy Greensmith. And I have tons of freebies over there. I've been doing a podcast for almost 10 years or over 10 years rather. So I've got a huge back catalog, free hypnosis over there, free workbooks, and then I hang out on social the most on Instagram under the handle Hey Amy Green Smith. And I think that's it. So yeah, just come get some freebies. Awesome. Thank you yeah. so much, Amy. I really appreciate your time today. 
Oh, I had a blast, Olivia. Such a blast. Thank you so much for the space. Of course. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Empowered Woman Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. If you found any value in this, please consider sharing and subscribing. Now go out and be a badass.